I was having a conversation with my brother about um, we were talking about films that we once thought were amazing and that we are reconsidering. There's, there's two classifications. One is the like, um, like you thought they you they were amazing when you were 18, and then you watch them, and you're like, ugh, you're kind of embarrassed about your own like disposition as an 18. Year. But some of them we liked as an adult, as adults, and then like 10 years have passed, and we're like, oh, those stink, you know. And it's also like films really? that are like kind of accepted by society, and it, it you know. So anyway, so I was thinking about why you know it's a common thing that comes up with us you know that conversation sort of reminded me that you and i we love these old movies but you know they're pretty um <coughs> not defensible in so many ways in terms of like the <laughs> acting and the writing and stuff i mean I, I i would say that for both of the films today i like one more than the other but i like them both but why is it that we are so forgiving of these, you okay over there? Yeah, yeah, it's cold as a, ain't going anywhere, but. <coughs> oh man, okay. We're, oh, that was good, that's tasty. Anyways, go on, keep going, I like this. Well, that was the question. Why is why are we so? I, you know, I don't know, fucking dude. We went and watched uh, High Society again in the theater recently. Yeah, right, right. Played. We saw the re-release of High Society. Same goddamn thing. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's not nearly as good as Philadelphia Story. I just. I enjoy it more than Philadelphia. Nah, Philadelphia Story is not a good movie either. I never. That one I never understood. Why? Why oh, people okay, like well, that movie so much? Okay. Yeah, because it's not. It's just. A, it's a dumb plot. It's just. It's such a. Such a dumb movie. I. It's got to be a nostalgia thing. I mean, because we're not looking at it in any way objectively. Yeah. You but, know, these are movies that can't survive objectivity. They just can't. Yeah, but we like with high society, which it's fine that we talk about it since we've already done an episode about it. And I, I almost feel like we should have done the episode after we saw the re-release on the big screen of the night. But like with high society, the nostalgia is that you and I and our family watch that film, and certain members of the family would get drunk and sing some of the songs, and there's all this sort of personal history behind it. But with so many of these films, it's maybe the first time we're seeing them. But it's like, oh, you know, what's a good example is. Um, uh, my brother and I weren't talking about this one, but you know, when you watch Casablanca, Casablanca is like a good movie. I love that movie. And, and, I, think it's, movie. and I think I, it's, I, I would go so far as to say probably a great movie. It, yeah. Probably a great movie. And yet it has, <coughs> Jesus, it has um, uh, sweet Nazis, sweet, charming Nazis. <laughs> and it also has a scene where it's like, you know, uh, Peter Lorre as a guardy, you know, um, gets thrown into the bus by Rick. And, you know, famously, Rick lets him get caught by the sweet Nazis. And, um, you know, uh, Rick, why did you turn me in? And, and then somebody says, I hope when they come to get me, you know, they, they'll have a harder time or you won't, whatever it is. And Rick says famously, uh, I stick my neck out for no nobody. And then he turns to Sam and he goes, all right, Sam, play it. Sort of back into the scene. And it was like, oh, it's just so ridiculous. It's It's kind of retarded, actually. And it's like if yeah. that were to, if that were to be made in a movie today, it, it would be like it would get a Razzie, you know. It's like, yeah, probably. But I think the other elements of that movie and, and old Hollywood in, in general would 
would save it from that fate, right? I mean, just the writing of Casablanca. Like the dialogue, I mean. But not, that not, writing not, is not I just gave you some bad writing from Casablanca. Yeah, but like the dialogue is is pretty tremendous. Like it's very clever, very witty dialogue. That's part of it. That that's part of what floats this movie. I don't know if that, movie, that movie, the dialogue, that movie amounts to a hill of beans, Tom. In this, uh, in this, dude, in this great is, world of ours, extravagant <laughs> you are throwing away women, women like that. Yeah. They be scared. even the famous line, great. even the fa- the sort of "I am Spartacus" type line that people use in like political punditry today, which is like, "I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is actually not a well written." You know what I mean? It's just sort of corny, and we like to use it, but it's like it's not like clever. <laughs> I don't know. I I love it. I mean, it's I love a very classic, classic joke. I mean, it's like a let's like super joke structure. This thing's going on and then boom, like right there. You right, know? but that's what I'm saying. It's like I and again, it sounds like I'm tearing down Casablanca. I love Casablanca, but like in what world would somebody go like, I'm shocked to find that game. Here's your winnings. Sir. Oh, thank you very much. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's Maybe strange. yours and mine, Chuck. Maybe yours and mine, Joseph. Yeah, I'm Joe. Yeah, my what? That's a th- that's that kind of thing that could uh, you know that's that's uh, that's that thing that blows a little hole in one's hubris every once in a while. We all have moments like that. I guess so. So, so I brought all this up because not quite that extreme and not quite that ridiculous and well staged to be sure. But yeah, well, I mean, so we're watching a film from. I mean, we're talking about a film from 1933 and another one from 1937. So we're in like fertile ground for kind of bullshitty you know like and yet i like oh both boy, of these are we fucking ever well the i mean the first one i think is actually kind of a tremendous <coughs> film i think this this we're talking about gene harlow which is i don't know why by the way why do we always do this thing where we we, we we act like there's this reveal of course we're talking about you ready and it's like anyone who's clicked on this knows what it is <laughs> you're ready to hear about that thing we put in the title <laughs> yeah that's right in front of your fucking eyes but um shocked, so, shocked to see that misleading is going on in here just yeah <laughs> you're misleading sir uh, so, uh, Gene Arlo is like, I, I, I want to say after Clara Bow, she's like the second Clara Bow is like, not only sort of the it girl, she's literally the it girl. Um, right. and, and, and so then I guess Gene Harlow is the next one. Although Gene Harlow is a little bit different because, um, Clara Bow, I think you and I agreed, like she was kind of in the top 10 of like the love of our lives. Like we were just sort of taken with her and part of it's who she is, like her personality, and, and Gina Harlow is sort of like f- the first one that's she's getting into tr- kind of trampy territory, right? Right, right. definitely heading in that territory there. Yeah, and, pe- and it's it seems like she would be, you know it's like hated by women, and meow, and adored by mm-hmm. men, but also women want to be here. You know that whole sort of thing. I don't. I I like her. She's the one out of all the the classic Hollywood sex symbols who I like as a person a personality but i do not find her I, she's kind of gross right i agree i, I don't find her I, I i gotta be honest watch two movies of hers and these are really i think the only two i've ever seen uh-huh. not i don't find her a a compelling actress or be particularly that sexy no i find her a compelling movie. actress i disagree with you there for sure i would say she's oh okay. uh, yeah but let's talk about that first she's got that weird background they've all got that sort of story that's like who knows how much of it is is you know it's kind of like the Lana Turner is a classic one found at the soda fountain and this is the one where she she marries some guy and they come out to California because he's rich like kind of a rich playboy and and she's driving her friend to the lot do you know the story she drives her friend yeah. to the lot and she's standing outside the car 
car and it's like you know who aren't you in hey, movies right. right and so she doesn't really make it for a while but but she she lands a, a lucky role in wings which you and i still have to talk about someday the howard hughes you know world yeah. War, the flying yeah. ace epic it's on the list yeah and and but it's it, it's such a sort of like um random thing that that she's not set up to be in movies or be a star of movies after that and so there's a couple right. of years where she just kind of flounders around doing these things. But I, I think, do you know the whole Paul Byrne story? I don't think so. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So Paul, okay. <clears throat> so Paul Byrne, she marries this guy, Paul Byrne, who's like a kind of an executive-ish producer. Who's He's, he's kind of lobbied for her. He's what, he's, he's what got her like, um, um, on to co-starring status after Wings because Wings was seen as kind of like this fluke like she'd done really well but but um, you know he lobbied for her and she really appreciated it and he was also this like it's kind of like Hannah and her sisters you know the Maximilian Shell character with Barbara Hershey it's like the the much older gentleman who's kind of an intellect and he's going to like yeah. you, know, school, you know and she kind of she dug that because no one's taking her seriously and she has you know kind of a similar thing with Clara Bow with like the family who's like kind of you know uh, suckling her purse teeth dry i mean there's a metaphor a little purse teeth dry a little spider up in the corner going some actress yeah oh nice some terrific uh piggish <laughs> um uh anyway so 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 she she kind of digs it, and also there's some sort of rumor that it was like he's you know he's not all about like fucking basically, and she kind of digs that like she you know he sees more in her, but but apparently the the deal like the the scuttlebutt, if you will, around mm, El Hollywood was that he was either gay, one of the gays of Hollywood, or he was mm-hmm. impotent, or hey, you know, hold on. back obvi- it up, back it up, back yeah. it up, back it, up. gay men in Hollywood, man, what? Man, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he, so, uh, uh, well, okay, so look, I mean, look, one would present as the other, by the way, right? Sure. Like, if he's in the closet. And, and, and like, there would be no way we would know, right? What? <laughs> Whether or not this guy was gay or... <laughs> well, it's important to know because it's, it, it's part of the, it's part of the whole how early that Hollywood system of, like, um, propaganda was because, so, so mm. the deal is they become estranged after a while. She marries him. Right, he's she's divorced the other guy. She marries this guy. He's like her greatest advocate. He sort of gets her into films on a more serious level, and then they're not really getting along because even though she's t- she's sort of told everyone like he's not just interested in me as like my body, you know, he wants my mind. It's like she's kind of a drone. my hair. And yeah, and she, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then she's got this overbearing mother, and so she ends up like working on a film just before Bombshell, where the mother kind of like advises her to stay with her. So she She's not really even living with her husband, but she goes back. There's this famous night. It's kind of like a Hollywood Babylon type thing. There's this famous night where she goes back and she argues with Paul Byrne and then she leaves and it's this huge fight. And the butler says it's a fight. And the next day, Paul Byrne's body is discovered mm, dead or moited or something, but it's ruled a suicide and conveniently like this pile of books Are found by his his, uh, bedside, and and they're like several of the books, and I forget what it's called, but it's almost like the the um, sexual orientation equivalent of phrenology. It's like how to study your skull and to not being gay anymore. So it's like okay, now you got your gay rumor, and then you've also had the sort of the flaccid penis, you know, unable to get it up rumor. But 
the the studio puts out this thing and their press release is like cleverly worded as to indicate that the real problem was that his junk was too small like to even operate as functional like <laughs> penis wear <laughs> so this guy goes through all I mean, for for all the th- I mean, he might have been an asshole, but it looks like he was actually like a decent person to her and actually helped her and her and and, right. you know, and she didn't like like you know she she ended up not liking him as a husband like but she wasn't like an asshole to him but the studio right but then the machine of Hollywood just makes him a, makes him an asshole <laughs> so, so, after his death. So the movie she's doing while that happens is her huge blockbuster thing called Red Dust in 1932 with with Clark Gable. It, it later on is with uh, he redoes it with uh, Grace Kelly. It's called Magumbo, I think, in the the fifties or something. Oh yeah, okay. But the first one's called Red Dust, and it's he and Jean Harlow. And there's a famous scene where she's basically um, bathing in a barrel, and it was like pre pre haze, you know, like mm. almost getting a little some some titty meat in there, some Jean Harlow tite in there, and that she has to film that scene the day they find his body. So she's all like, oh, shake. So the point I'm making here is all of that is a sort of background to this movie Bombshell, which is a pretty, does two things really early on. First of all, it's as far as I know, the first screwball comedy. It's a year before it happened one night. Okay. But it's also okay. super, super meta. It's it's really about the system. Say, yeah, it's, it's almost not a screwball comedy. It's it's more a meta comedy to me. But well, yeah, it's both it's because the, the screwball is because, because the director put... Um, uh, uh, almost 200 pages worth of dialogue into that film, which was unheard of. So the reason he, he had to squeeze it into like an hour and 40 minutes. And so it becomes like, yeah, see, bop, 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 and everyone's bebopping around doing, doing their, their goddamn screwball thing. But yeah, it's got the meta, the meta thing. Cause it's all about uh, ostensibly Clara Bow is sort of like the, the stencil, right? It's, mm-hmm, right. it's sort of like the tragedy of this woman who's been yeah. run around the Hollywood system as an actress and she has a shitty family and everything else, but it's part Claire Beau, part her own life. Right, right. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Particularly when you sort of described it there uh, just a minute ago. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because it's, it's a story that's like wall to wall Hollywood sociopaths. Yeah. And the nicest person in the entire movie is her, but only because she's so unstable, she can't be sociopathic all the time. Yeah, I mean, there's another another good it's character. Pretty awesome. <laughs> another good character in there. It's it's Pat O'Brien, who later on was in like um, Angels with Dirty Faces, and he, he was you know famously in some like it hot as the you know goodbye Charlie. Um, but but uh, he's sort of he's not exactly nice. He's just sort of like living in like real society where people aren't hacking right. at each other. I guess. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, the whole film is really about her her kind of like not about the making of a film, but like her her off hours while making this particular film. It's more like it's the making of a star is what's going on because or this or a starlet in this case. So yeah. because she's being like relentlessly pursued yeah. by this uh, by this press agent yeah. who works for the studio, and it's his job to keep her in the paper. If he has to like frame her for a fucking murder, he will gladly do that. But it's, it's important that it's actually her press agent. Time, he's, he's got the hots for her. He's supposed to be working for it's her press agent right so it's like right right yeah yeah it had a lot of like it reminded me of uh, uh rita hayworth's gilda too like these sort of characters who are like wait a minute what are you doing you're, you're doing this one thing to my face and as soon as i like literally turn the corner you're calling other people to, to mm. screw me over i mean right you're planting drugs on me so i get caught right it's kind of insightful that in 1932 i guess when we're making this film they have that much sort of clarity on how ruthless that system is and it's going to be yeah 
Yeah, so that, that would definitely, I thought that actually sort of, I mean, the extent to which it gets played out seems ridiculous. Yeah. But then again, maybe not. It's, I don't know. I don't know enough about like Hollywood at that level to know. But at the same time, like I said, some of it seems very sort of cartoonish, mm-hmm. but like pervasive and and not untrue. Yeah, I mean, you know yeah. what I mean. Like it seems like they're they're, they're telling a real sort of a truth about the whole system there. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, it's it's uh, the cartoonish parts are like, um, uh, I mean, there's a whole like third act in it where she escapes, and here's where like they try to recapture the Clara Bow story because you remember with Clara Bow, she actually did quote unquote escape in real life to to, mm-hmm. to be with this like real life cowboy who didn't give a darn about Hollywood or who she slept with. He just loved her for who she was, and so there's an interesting twist on that because she finds that she escapes Hollywood. She, the character, escapes Hollywood, yeah. sort of as a as a faux Clara Bow, and goes off to the desert and finds this guy. But it turns out he and his parents, staying on the ranch out there, are actually just actors for the Zane. Yeah, paid for paid for by that same press agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, it, it's it's a little bit mind bending in some ways. This movie, if it, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. And let me ask you this: Did you enjoy it? I loved it. You did okay. I okay. thought it was. I, I mean, in the same way that I love it happened one night. Okay, okay. I find myself enjoying it more or less, kind of despite myself in some ways. But yeah, it was pretty fun. Well, yeah, the, I got to be honest there. It brings us back fun to the, the first conversation that uh, the, the, the conversation that started this whole thing, which is like I I don't know why a lot of the times because I, I I find myself to be smarter than someone who would like this right. movie, but, but I do like right. it. It's really well, really dumb too. Like. I think, you and I, because, okay, so here we are, uh, we're, you know, 2021, you and I mm-hmm. uh, watched a lot of old movies, watched a lot of new movies, which, you know, we, we're, 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 pet, we're a more sophisticated moviegoer than they were back then. I'm going to say that. Right. All right. But because, because I think you and I can watch this movie and enjoy it and, but still have a certain amount of like ironic, ironic detachment. And I don't think audiences back then had that. This is, you know, this is again, very early thirties. I think people like this was this was their, this was Citizen Kane to them, in a sense. Like, pretty great movie making as far as they knew, I think. I guess so. I mean, I guess I mean noir is is the thing that sort of tests that line, isn't it? Because you and I had this experience where we were in we were in the Bay Area and we were this is the summer and we were watching the Maltese Falcon for the millionth time, and mm-hmm. a, few, a couple of people who loved the Maltese Falcon, but. Um, a couple of people's wives were sort of hovering around and couldn't just were flabbergasted at things like Humphrey Bogart punching Peter Laurie. I have those two characters, so those two actors again in my example, and and mm-hmm. Humphrey Bogart saying, "When you're when you're slapped, you'll take it and like it." And slapping like it again, and they were just howling with, with laughter. The wives, and and they're not wrong to howl with laughter. And I think on that one, for instance, I don't think. People took it seriously. They 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 took Maltese Falcon seriously, and they should. It's a great movie. But I think that mm-hmm. moment there was a little bit of irony for the audience. I think there was a little right. bit of like, hmm. So there's, I I, I think a movie like okay. Bombshell, 1933's Bombshell. I don't know if we've even mentioned the title yet. Sorry, 1933's Bombshell, we which did. is this first Gene Harlow movie. I think it, it has to be a little aware or or trying for irony, given that the whole thing is so meta to begin with. Right. No, no. See, I think, I think like, that's the thing is that I think it was like, so inside, I think the people who could take it with irony were the people in the movie much more than the audience could possibly have. I'm very intrigued by that thought. I don't know. 
if I'm full of shit, and I might, I might well be on this one. And you kind of hoisted me on my own petard a second ago, but um, but I don't know. It just it seems like the like the mechanism is so much more sophisticated than I think the audience was, was would have been able to really handle back then. That would be interesting to study because um... that's our time machine. Leave baby Hitler alone. We're going to go watch this with the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it had an, a couple of interesting people in it too. Uh, speaking of again, boy, this is all connecting the Maltese Falcon. Um, th- it had uh, one of the cops in here was the hotel detective of the Maltese Falcon, right, right. Luke. Mm-hmm. What about yeah. what about Miles? And then Effie, the secretary was was her, was her sister, was her wacky sister who who's the kind of ne'er do well sister who's like kind of in a in a in a um. A Kardashian fashion is throwing parties while she's off at work. Okay, that never. Wow. Okay, I, I did not make that connection at all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Double dipping. So yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's a film, and and of course it it all it's dependent on her to carry it, and you know she does. Yeah. That that's the thing about her. She can carry the center. The center will hold with her in it, and so the, right. whatever that is, whatever presence she has. It's not just the platinum blonde and it's not just the sort of like, you know, she, she'd wear these outfits that are, especially a movie like this, which is pre Hayes code that are like, kind of like a silk slip and she's jiggling around in it. Right, <laughs> so right, right, I was right. doing some, I, I listened to some podcast about her and they called her the, 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 the first queen of side boob. And it's like, yeah, okay. That, that kind of <laughs> makes a bit of sense. You know, the first queen of side boob. Right, <laughs> and then, it's, it's the current continues. queen of side boob. Hello. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I just, I think that she's, she's super talented. She's clearly like a hard worker. Like she, she does, I guess you could say the same thing about her that you say about Will Smith, which is that parents Ooh. just don't understand. No, it's that they, that, that it's, it's not about the talent. It's about the work. Will Smith is not in the top 100 of great film actors, but he's, no. he just attracts you anyway. Cause he's just in it. Yeah, there's a quality. There's a star quality. I, I think I've talked about this before. Certainly with like, I think Marilyn Monroe is maybe the greatest example ever of just somebody who, you know, just runs the room regardless of, of her actual talent level. But you know, it, and then, for different reasons, though, I think Jean Harlow runs the room for a few reasons. But one is that she's just working so hard. Right, 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 right. Which, yeah, not not so much on the other people we just mentioned there. I'm, I got to say, this is one of the things I thought when I was watching both of these movies that it was kind of sort of sad and i think I, I alluded to it like near the beginning of when we were talking about this is that um i think i think like gene harlow was sort of thrown into being a type which is really common for actors back then right yeah, yeah. you know spencer tracy's the decent catholic boy and, and all these mm-hmm. kinds of things and she was kind of like the uh the vamp sort of like the fast talking uh you know hard as hard as nails hard of gold vamp sort of a, of, a, of a persona mm-hmm. that they were crafting for her and I thought she did really good, but but the problem I had was I'd seen others who did it better, and it bugged me a little bit. Like Roz Russell, I think, is the best example of that one right there. Of wait, now you threw me. Rosalind Russell is the best example of what? A vamper? Yeah, of like sort of like the fast talking, uh, the fast talking female, heart of gold, hard as hard as nails, bit of a bit of a vamp sort of a situation. That's I, I, I think she's kind of a better version of that than Jean Harlow. Well, you're, that's a tough one for me because she might be more famous for that, and and in fact that the fame that she has, Rosalind Russell that she has for that, to me, comes down to one movie, and that's and that's um, His Girl Friday, and you know what? I don't like her. I don't like His Girl Friday. I don't like. 
It's the one sort of screwball that I'm like not that down with. Like I get where it's going, but I just think it's a. It's like a, you know, you always bring up. I, I've heard you many times bring up Juno as a oh. certain sort of archetype, right? And it's Juno, and it's like the teenage, like, ba -da -ba -da -ba, ba -da -ba. and it's like, I kind of feel that way about Rosalind Russell and uh, <coughs> Cary Grant in uh, uh, His Girl Friday. I think Ralph Bellamy is the best part of that movie. The hapless hmm. cowboy. I think we've even done this one. Yeah, I kind of yeah, like that character. No, his is definitely the most likable character, because again, they're the sociopaths. I think he's the most interesting character. I actually think that, that Grant and, and Russell kind of cancel each other out in a weird way. Whereas, um, like Clark Gable and uh, what's her face, Claudette Colbert, don't they? They, they kind of rise. Yeah. They, they're they're true foils to each other. And yeah, and what's yeah, interesting yeah. here is with this fucking like pioneering screwball comedy is there is no foil for Gene Harlan. There's no foil. She's doing the right. whole thing. It's her. She's, she's, yeah, she's carrying the whole weight on that. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if that makes sure. it work more or less, but I, I I give it credit for what it's doing anyway. Early on. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a good. I I think it's a good movie. It's it's anyway. It's oh, and then also she she did try. To, speaking of your typecasting, she did try to get away from it, and that's always part of like the arc of these like the character of these actresses or actors, right? She tried to get away from it, and they they made a film called Redheaded Devil or Redheaded Woman or something. It apparently was pretty good. Um, so, she, but that hair dye, ooh, was killing American women. First of all, was making them bald, and eventually started making her bald. Really? Yeah, she has had to wear little uh, uh, the the scuttlebutt, as I like to say in this episode, is that she yes. <laughs> the scuttlebutt around town was that she like she had to uh, wear little toops. I pronounced them toops. Toupees. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. I like one Sorry. syllable. Okay, I'm in, well, well, I'll play grandma. I'm in the old uh, screwball comedy mode. I like to do one syllable, yes, not two. Are. See, so mm -hmm. so she was already in bad shape, and then she moves, and then we got the second film, which is her last film, 1937. Unless you want to say more about uh, bomb bombshell. No, no, no. Let's move on. Yeah, no. This is her last film, and I, I, I definitely would, uh, my preferred of the two movies. I got to be honest. What? Yeah. Uh, have you been using blonde hair dye, buddy? Because that's a crazy thing you just said. This film is... Oh, uh, you're a crazy guy. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but it was highly forgettable as far as I was concerned, except the story behind it. Was it was highly predictable, that's for sure. Yeah. Like, there was absolutely nothing coming down the pike on this one that, that didn't sort of see coming. Yeah. I, don't, I think I just wasn't as afraid of the people in it as I was in the other movie. You were afraid of the people in the other movie. Yeah, those people would, like, kill you and skin you and wear it. Oh, I see what you're saying. All right, so Saratoga is um, God. It's it's a it's weirdly I find the plot even more convoluted than Bombshell, which is at least has it's just kind of wacky. Um, that's not even a criticism. I'm just trying to remember. Her, her uh, grandfather has a farm. It's Lionel yeah, Barrymore. It's farm. The dad is selling it, then the dad dies and yeah. gives it all to to uh, what's his name. And then, and then, and then, yeah, gives then, it all to Clark Gable. <laughs> what's his name? That's going to help. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> you know, what's, what's his name, everybody? And then, and then she gets me. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of moving, unnecessary moving parts. In this well, it's sure. a, it's it's playing a little bit off of like the the the, the vapor trails of um, three years earlier. It happened one night because Clark Gable returns as the like you don't know how to live like an adult. You have stupid idiot broad, good looking I broad. Was, I think that's just how he treated women, anyways. I think it was just his special. Uh, no, uh, you're forgetting a little movie called uh, Soldier of Fortune. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. He Where he fought match. the feminist fight for sure. Yep. Um, yeah, maybe in Comrade X. I'm not going to get caught up in that stuff. But, but 
<coughs> she she uh, it has that sort of vibe where it's like you got to grow up and she you know like Claudette Colbert in a way in the other movie uh Gene Harlow's you know she's gonna rise to the occasion and she kind of does and she gains his respect and there's some misunderstandings and there's a horse race and it was kind of like a, a little an our gang movie with adults right. <laughs> yeah and, 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 and in between like interesting moments of what the world looked like when white people were squarely on top just to the freaking terrifying entertainment they had on that train for instance oh yeah 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 <laughs> oh my god well it also has some good backstory to it too, because this is the movie that um, Lionel Barrymore fell and broke his hip, and it it downed him. It was Barrymore down after this movie. Really? Yeah. But yeah, because he, he was still he was still Lionel Barrymore. I love the fact that you know you can't you could never miss that fucking guy. Yeah. No. And then we have the real thing that happened, which of course is Gene Harlow died almost near the end of the filming. Right? Didn't they actually have to shoot some of the uh, scenes with a with a body double? They or shot like the that? scenes with a, a long shots with a body double, and and she, so it's like maybe I don't know ten percent of the movie left to, to film or something like that. But she dies. She uh, there was some mystery, and maybe some still some mystery, just like her aforementioned gay small penis husband Paul Byrne about exactly what caused her death. It could have been the drinking. There were some ridiculous rumors that it was the peroxide <laughs> that seeped into her brain, and there's oh, really? oh, all wow. this sort of stuff. But it was ultimately kidney failure. Failure it looked like, but the problem was they had diagnosed it wrong. So they were, they were giving her treatment. So she goes home like they they stop production for like a week. She goes home, and a doctor gives her the wrong prognosis and starts treating her for the wrong thing before it's discovered it's actually a kidney problem. And Clark Gable went to visit her and reported that he could smell her mouth from behind the door. Wow. Like her mouth was just rotting out from the inside. Oh, God. <laughs> Whoa, shit. So, uh, yeah, so she Get dies. Get ready for that big kiss and scene. Come here, Clarky. It's kind of what made this movie a hit, I, I suspect, because I don't, I, I, it doesn't seem like a smash Ola to me, but I could be wrong. 30, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, 37's not, if you think of the great Hollywood years, 37 is not one of the greatest. I think you have the good earth, and that's about it. Right. And then you start getting in. Once you, get, once you hit like 38, 39, I guess, is when, when, you know, for me, the best of Hollywood starts smacking up right there. Yeah, thirty nine is famously like maybe the, the top three years of film, but 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 <clears throat> but also, you know, who had been um, uh, treating her like a real hoa for the past uh, four years uh, post Paul Byrne uh, was William Powell. Is that right? Oh, had he been giving her the works, and she and she apparently was totally in love with him, and he was he said something like, "This is one of those Hollywood Babylon things again," but he said something like, "Yeah, you don't bring a, a woman like that home to meet your family." So, <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out he was more of an ass than we thought. He's like such a likable guy, you know. But but uh, uh, and and there was some always all, smelled it. Always smelled it on him. I yeah, I could smell her, her mouth from behind the door. So so uh, and then and then there was also he had that famous on-screen relationship with um, Myrna Loy, right? That's a thin man, and and they Ooh. were in, they were in like eight films together, uh, uh, William Powell and Myrna Loy, and somehow oh, Myrna Loy kept getting in the way, and and was infuriating Gene Harlow, who then died really? anyway. So I guess it didn't matter. Eh, well, I didn't really t- say anything. Sorry about about Saratoga. It was kind of forgettable to me. Mm, yeah, well, that's the other thing too. It's also like the 
the it's a, any any given plot or storyline was very incidental to the fact that there was just going to be friction between like three characters at any given time. It's a very formulaic sort of movie from that time period, right there. Yeah, for some reason, I want to get Bombshell more credit than that because it, 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 put on the spot, I can't think of the substance that that's that would I could argue against what you're saying. It's more the movement. It was just so tight. You know, it was just sort of like, yeah. even if it was dumb, it was just tightly happening at all times. Whereas yeah, I guess just, I have to sort of reconsider my earlier statement. I think Bombshell is definitely a better movie. Damn. All it takes is a microphone and a, a long and some zooming, and I can convince Tommy of the yeah. point. Look, at it. Look up that nose, baby. Look up it. Yeah. No one knows what you're talking about, but I love you, Tommy. It's been good talking yeah. to Dean Hartley. You got anything else for Sarah Tilgan? I've stopped this before, motherfucker. <laughs> you got some... Uh, do you have any more Gene Harlow talk? No, I don't think so. I mean, I guess if I were to like encapsulate both movies, mm-hmm. yeah, I go with you on that. I think the one is a better movie than the other, but uh, none, neither of them were like horribly offensive. Just neither of them were groundbreaking. Not, not, you know, I think Bombshell was groundbreaking. It was the first Dude. screwball comedy. Yeah. All right, okay, I'll give you that, but it wasn't the best. I mean, I'm still, I'm still easily, willing man. to give that to all through the night. Let's let's give it to them instead all through the night baby nine years later well uh how about this are there any other um women uh, from that era i mean when i say that era i mean let's say 1960 and and there's just i'm not even done with that question you're saying no any other women i literally know no other female actors from that time period i can think of oh no but i'm thinking i'm let's say from 1930 to 1960 i'll give you a 30 range period and it's sort of like we have so it's like it's anything from like clarabo gene tierney head hedy lamar headley um, uh, Marilyn Monroe, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's sort of bombshell or like pinup or Rita Hayworth. Uh, can you think of any that that like? Because those all make our cut. We're like, yeah, we see what you're saying, guys. Uh, but we both agree that Gene Harlow is kind of like likable and hardworking, but you know, not very. We don't find her. Is anyone else that sort of fails the way she fails? I guess is what I'm asking. Like isn't uh, isn't that a tr- no? I can't really think of it because I think of like the Mamie Van Doren. Who's the one who had her head cut off in the car in Louisiana? Not Mamie. Jean. No, you know Shit. she's in the Girl Can't Help It. Jane. Jane Mansfield. Jane Mansfield. She's another one where I'm like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I get where you're going for, but there's nothing there for me. Well, yeah, I'm not. I'm. I mean, if, if you're loving Jane Mansfield, you got to be a boob guy, and I'm not that. So, it's, yeah, but it's like, not just the boob thing. It's not. Yeah, but that's but that's half of her charm, easily. No, I know, but the failure isn't in the boobs. It's not a matter of boob failure, Tom. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> the failure isn't something that's that you can't quite quantify. It's like I understand why people at that time thought that Gene Harlow was sexy. But I do yeah. not, unlike Clara Bow, where I'm like, hubba hubba, Clara Bow. <laughs> that should be our tagline. I got okay, I'll be honest with you. Here's a here's a here's a moment. This might get me kicked off the whole movie topic altogether. All right. Um I don't find Marilyn Monroe that attractive. Uh, we got Never go. did. Well, it was good talking to you, Tommy, for our return and last episode. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> Never did. I don't know. There was always something about her I didn't like. Well, boop boopy doo to you, my friend. All right, buddy. Uh well, no, Betty Boop. That's different. You know what, Betty Boop? Another another convert, another podcast, I guess. Another episode, but yes, agreed. All right, buddy. Uh, Philly's on film, and uh, we're back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back.